Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. The subject for the sermon today is the biblical doctrine of hell. Now perhaps some of you upon hearing this are wondering, well, is it really necessary to preach a sermon on this subject? Would it not be better to preach on something a little more positive, a little more uplifting? Well, I certainly understand those sentiments. No one, after all, likes to hear about hell. And yet I believe this subject is vitally important, and it's good for us to hear a sermon on this at least from time to time. And I'll give you several reasons why I think that. First of all, it's important to preach on the doctrine of hell because it is part of revealed truth. The Bible makes frequent mention of hell. In fact, the Bible speaks of hell far more often than it does of heaven. And that's reason enough to preach on it. Secondly, it's important to preach on the doctrine of hell because it is an imminent reality for millions upon millions of people. Statisticians tell us that approximately 95 million people die every year. That's three every second and 11,000 every hour. And the vast majority of these people end up in hell. And in light of that fact, the most positive, the most loving, the most compassionate thing that we can do is to proclaim this truth in the hope that sinners whose hearts are hardened to the gospel may be awakened to the reality that awaits them and come to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ before it is too late. Thirdly, it's important to preach on the doctrine of hell because it is denied by a growing number of people today. It's denied by unbelievers. Unbelievers make fun of this doctrine. They imagine hell to be a place inhabited by little red men with pointed ears and tails holding little pitchforks in their hands. Hell to these people is just a big joke. It's a laughing matter. Others, like atheists and humanists, deny the doctrine of hell on intellectual or philosophical grounds. To them, the idea of hell is morally repulsive. They regard it as a primitive superstition, a crude boogeyman used by a tyrannical church to terrify and manipulate its gullible adherents. But this doctrine is even denied by those who profess to be believers, who profess to be believed that the Bible is the inspired word of God. In their view, the doctrine of hell is inconsistent with the Bible's portrayal of God as a God of love. How can a God of love, they say, consign men and women and even children to everlasting punishment in hell? The very idea to them is preposterous. And so they spend much of their time writing books and articles and seeking to redefine or even to do away with this doctrine altogether. Well, with this in our mind and the help of the Lord, we're going to consider this subject, the doctrine of hell. And we're going to do that under three headings. First of all, hell is factual. Secondly, hell is fearful. And thirdly, hell is fair. So the first observation that we want to make about this subject is that hell is factual. And by that I mean it is a real, 
physical place. Hell is not, as some have suggested, a metaphor for the unhappiness that we experience in this life. That's a common tendency today. People today speak of devastating experiences as hellish. I've been through hell, they say. Well, hell to these people is no more than the dark side of life, the sadness and the suffering through which people pass. But that is not true at all. Hell is not an idea. It's not an experience. It's not a philosophical construct. Hell is an actual physical place. Now, that's exactly what the Scriptures teach. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, the rich man speaks of this place of torment. And in the original Greek, the word for place is the normal Greek word for a specific location. Similarly, in Acts 1 verse 25, we are told that after committing suicide, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed the Lord Jesus, went to his own place. And that's the same Greek word that's used there. Elsewhere, the Bible speaks of the unbelieving and unrepentant as being cast into hell. You can only cast people into a physical place, and that place is hell. Well, clearly, the Bible teaches then that hell is an actual place. It's not an idea, it's not an experience, it is an actual physical place. And as such, it was created by God. When God created hell, we cannot say. Most likely he did so when man fell into sin. And that's because those who died in their sin had to have some place to go when they died. That place is hell. Now why did God create this place? Well, God created hell to display his wrath against sin. Contrary to what many professing Christians believe today, God is not only a God of love, he is that, thankfully, but he is also a God of wrath. And what is God angry about? Why is he so wrathful? Well, God is angry about sin, your sin and mine. Hell is a manifestation of God's wrath against sin. And that is why, as we hope to see in a moment, hell is a place of torment. The only reason why hell is a place of torment is because in hell, the wrath of God is being poured out without interruption or abatement. Hell is a place where God's wrath burns with all of its intensity, completely unmitigated by his love. Now, another question that's often raised in this connection is, is who dwells in hell? Let me think of three groups that dwell in hell. The first are the devil and his fellow demons. The devil and his demons are not in hell yet. They're still free to roam the earth with certain restrictions, of course. But they will be when our Lord returns. We read about that in Revelation chapter 20. And there in verse 10 of Revelation 20, we read that after being loosed for a season, the devil was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, which is another name for hell, together with the beast and the false prophet. And there he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But until then, they are free to roam the earth. But hell will be their eternal dwelling. Secondly, hell contains the souls of the wicked and unbelieving. We have a description of these people in Revelation 21, verse 8. They're called the fearful and the unbelieving, the abominable 
the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. All these are in hell as we speak, awaiting the coming judgment. Thirdly, hell contains the souls of many sincere professing Christians. Now that may sound shocking, but it's true. It's not only the most blatantly evil who will find themselves in hell. People like Hitler and Stalin and others who have committed great and terrible atrocities. Hell will also contain the souls of many outwardly decent, upright people, as well as the souls of many faithful members of the church who never truly repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that because of what Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 7. There he says that on the day of judgment, there will be many. Mark the word many here. Not just a few, but many who will say to him, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out demons in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? But the Lord will say to them, depart from me. For I never knew you. The point is, hell is full of people who appeared to be true believers and who even thought that they were true believers, but they were not. What a warning there is here for those who are religious, but who do not know Christ. My friend, your religion cannot save you. Your works cannot save you. Only faith in Christ can save you. And therefore, if you had never trusted in him, I urge you, do so today, before it is too late. Hell is a factual, it is a real, physical place. But it is also fearful, brings us to our second point. Hell is a terrible place, that's an understatement. It is, in fact, the most terrible place that we can ever possibly imagine. The scriptures often associate hell with fire. For example, hell is called in scripture a place of fire or a furnace of fire, a lake of fire, a place of everlasting burnings and unquenchable fire. Now it's not clear whether we are to take this literally, whether hell really is a place of actual physical fire. Most likely the reason why hell is described as a place of fire is because it is a place of excruciating pain and suffering. And nothing communicates the idea of pain and suffering quite like fire. And so it's described, it's connected with fire. Hell is also described as a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Those are the words that Jesus himself uses to describe this place. And the weeping that's referred to here is not the soft kind of weeping that you'll often see at funerals. No, this is an uncontrolled weeping. It is a deep heavy sorrow of heart, sorrow of the most bitter kind. It is a sorrow not merely of grief, but of guilt and disgust and self-loathing. This is the kind of sorrow that one will experience in hell. Someone wrote, If all the tears shed on earth since Eden could be gathered together, they would not begin to compare with the tears of one individual in hell. Hell is also described in the scriptures as a place of gnashing of teeth. Jesus uses that phrase several times. Gnashing of teeth is a sign of rage or insanity even. 
an insane kind of rage, a, a rage that, that drives one to insanity. It, it reminds us of a rabid dog, fangs bared and uncontrolled anger. The idea is that the damned in hell will be grinding their teeth in rage, in helpless, unrequited anger at their companions, at themselves, at their sins, and at God himself. Such will be the agonies of the damned in hell. And they will suffer these agonies forever and ever and ever. There will be no respite, no time of rest. They will continue throughout all eternity. And there will be no more possibility of repentance. There will be no second chance. Our Lord uses a particularly horrifying expression to communicate this idea. In Mark 9, verse 46, he describes hell as a place where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. Our Lord here is quoting the last verse of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 66, verse 24. Here the prophet describes what will happen on the day of judgment. He says that all flesh shall come to worship before the Lord. And then he says, and I quote, They shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against him. For their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Isaiah here is referring to the practice of, which was very common in ancient times, of leaving the bodies of fallen soldiers to rot in the battlefield or burning them with fire. Jesus uses that to describe what hell is like. Hell, he says, is a place where the worm does not die and the fire does not go out. Now, Most commentators believe that Jesus here is referring to the conscience. The conscience, Jesus is saying, is like worms or maggots eating at a dead body. They just keep on gnawing away until there's nothing left. Or it's like a fire that that just keeps on burning, that never is extinguished. People who have committed terrible crimes know something of this. Sometimes as they sit in prison, and they think about the horrible things that they've done, their consciences can drive them insane. Some even try to commit suicide. And so Jesus says it will be in hell. The consciences of the damned in hell will eat away at them like maggots eat away at a dead body or like a fire that consumes something that is burning. Except in hell the maggots will never die. and The fire will never be extinguished. The conscience will keep on eating away at a person to all eternity, only adding to his misery and despair. Oh, imagine that if you can. Imagine sitting in hell, thinking about all the things you did wrong in life, all the people you wronged, all the lies you told, all the evil things you did, all the sermons that you heard, all the opportunities that you had to repent and believe the gospel, all the warnings and admonishments issued by your parents and your pastors and your office bearers, all the prayers offered up on your behalf. The memory of these things will be like a worm eating away at your soul and a fire burning in your heart. And it will never, ever cease. It will go on and on and on to all eternity. Well, such are the agonies of the damned in hell. Hell will be a fearful place, a place of unspeakable pain 
and agony. Now maybe you think upon hearing this, well, is this really fair? Is it fair that human beings should be punished for their sins so dreadfully and forever and ever and ever, including those who have never heard the gospel and have never had the opportunity to repent? Is it fair? Well, that brings us to our second point. The, our third point. The fact that God should damn people to hell is absolutely, perfectly fair. Why? Well, first of all, it must be stated that sinful human beings are in no position to criticize the penalty. And that's because we have little and in some cases no understanding of the seriousness of the crime. The crime is sin. In fact, we express more outrage over people who kill whales or cut down trees or drill for oil to make a living than we do about tens of thousands of babies that are slaughtered every year through abortion. So who are we to set ourselves up as the arbiters of what is fair, what is not fair, what is sinful and what is not sinful? Secondly, we must understand something of the seriousness of sin. Sadly, this is not understood in the church today. The tendency today in the church is to minimize sin. Nobody wants to talk about sin. Nobody wants to talk about the penalty for sin, the seriousness of sin. Oh yes, everyone will acknowledge that sin exists, and everyone will acknowledge that sin is not a good thing, and we even try hard to keep from sinning, but at the end of the day, we do not think that sin is so serious. We dismiss it. We say things like, well, nobody's perfect. But dear friends, sin is serious. Why? Because sin, no matter how small, is an affront to the holiness and majesty of God. It is an act of treason, a direct attack on the kingship of God. And as such, it deserves to be punished with everlasting condemnation in hell. Thirdly, we must remember that those who are in hell continue to sin, incurring even more guilt. In Revelation 22, verse 11, the Lord's sentence on the unbelieving and unrepentant is this. He says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he who is filthy, let him be filthy still. So the damned in hell will not change. The unjust will continue to be unjust. The filthy will continue to be filthy. And in fact, the damned in hell will accumulate even more sin, which deserves even greater punishment. And after countless ages, they have more to answer for than when they were first condemned. And thus, the longer they are in hell, the more justified their punishment becomes. Ah, but somebody says, isn't God also a God of love? How can a God of love consign sinners to everlasting condemnation in hell? The Heidelberg Catechism, one of the Reformed Confessions, answers this question in Lord's Day 4. And there, in question and answer 10, the question is asked if God will suffer or allow sin to go unpunished. And the answer is this, by no means. But God is terribly displeased with our original as well as our actual sins and will punish them in his just judgment temporally and eternally. Then in question and answer 11, the question is asked, is not God then also merciful? And the answer is, God is indeed merciful. But 
He is also just. Therefore, His justice requires that sin, which is committed against the Most High Majesty of God, be also punished with extreme, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. In other words, God cannot be merciful at the expense of his justice. He manifests his mercy in the salvation of some. He manifests his justice in the damnation of others. And Therefore we say without hesitation or qualification that hell is totally and absolutely fair. But someone says, well, what about the person who's never heard the gospel? the so-called savage in the jungles of Africa or South America, is it fair that those who have never had the opportunity to repent and believe should also be cast into hell? Well, admittedly, that is a difficult problem. But several things need to be kept in mind. First of all, when Adam sinned, we all sinned in him, including the so-called savage in the jungles of Africa and South America. God would do no injustice if he were to cast every single one of us into hell. The fact that he saves some and passes by others is not an injustice. It is grace. Secondly, we need to keep in mind that God has clearly revealed himself in the creation, leaving all men without excuse. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 1 verse 20. We read there that the invisible things of him that is of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So all men, whether they want to admit it or not, know that there is a God. They know that from the creation. There's only one explanation for the things that we see all around us. There is a God who made all things. As David himself declares in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows his handiwork. The problem is man suppresses this knowledge. He doesn't want to acknowledge what he knows in his heart of hearts to be true because his heart is full of enmity towards God. But all attempts to suppress this knowledge are utterly futile. For God will hold all men accountable, and they will be without excuse. Thirdly, there are degrees of punishment in hell. Not everyone in hell will suffer the same degree of punishment. In Luke 12, verse 47 and 48, Jesus says, That servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. The point that Jesus is making is this. We will be punished according to the amount of light that we have received. Those who have received less light will receive less punishment. Those who have received more light will receive more punishment. So Jesus, when reflecting on the mighty works that he had performed in the cities of Galilee, said this, he said, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, 
they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at that day of judgment than for you. One writer comments, he says, The deepest pits of hell may well be reserved, not for the notoriously wicked, but for those who from childhood were familiar with the message of salvation, yet never embraced it for themselves. The point is, hell is perfectly fair. And anyone who says it isn't does not have a proper conception of sin or of God. Well, this is just a thumbnail sketch of the biblical doctrine of hell. We've seen that it's factual, it's fearful, and it's fair. But let me ask you, as I close, what is your response to this teaching? You know, if you're not a believer today, I hope and pray that this teaching will lead you to repent of your sins and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is only in the way of faith and repentance that we can avoid everlasting damnation in hell. But if you are a believer, how should you respond to this doctrine? Well, we hope to consider that in more detail next time. But for now, let me just suggest three possible responses. First of all, the doctrine of hell should convince us of the exceeding sinfulness of sin. If hell is the place where God's wrath against sin is manifested, then how sinful is sin? Let us therefore never take sin lightly. Let us never accommodate ourselves to it. Let us never make excuses for it. Let us, above all, not live in it. But rather, let us flee from it and put it to death in our lives by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the doctrine of hell should produce in us a profound appreciation for the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Had Jesus not died for our sins, where would we be? What would be our final destiny? It would be hell. How this should humble us. How this should cause us to adore the Lord Jesus for all that he has done for us because he suffered and died and experienced himself the agonies of hell. We may be saved from the wrath to come. Thirdly, the doctrine of hell should produce within us a renewed zeal for evangelism. If the vast majority of people in the world today are heading to hell, Should we not pray for and take every opportunity to share the gospel with others around us? The story is told of Hudson Taylor. He was on furlough in England. Hudson Taylor was a great missionary leader of the 19th century, and he worked for many years in China. He told the story about a man falling into a river in China, and as he struggled in the water, the people on the riverbank simply stood by and watched him drown. Upon hearing this, Taylor's hearers gasped in horror. How could they do such a thing, they asked. Why didn't anyone rescue him? And anticipating their reaction, Taylor said this. He said, men and women of England, millions are perishing at this very moment. What are you doing to rescue them? We can ask ourselves the same question. We who know the truth, who have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What are we doing to rescue those who are on their way to hell and don't even know about it, and in some cases don't even care? Well, may this message that we've heard today so encourage us to spread the gospel to others around us that many may be saved from an eternity in hell. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you.
Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.